Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is Thursday, April 24th, 2008. Joy is a gift to the human race, a natural essence of the human spirit that can light a room inspire a soul, and change the script of humanity. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. Tonight, I am honored to have on the show Neil Donald Walsh, who is a modern-day spiritual messenger, whose words continue to touch the world in profound ways. With an early interest in religion and a deeply felt connection to spirituality, Neil spent the majority of his life thriving professionally, yet searching for spiritual meaning before beginning his now famous Conversation with God book series. This series of books has been translated into 34 languages, touching millions and inspiring important changes in people's day-to-day lives. The series, Conversations with God, includes thus far, Conversations with God, Books 1 through 3, Friendship with God, Communion with God, The New Revelations, Tomorrow's God, What God Wants, Home with God in the Life that Never Ends, and his latest book that we will be discussing this hour, Happier Than God. In addition to authoring the Renowned with God series, Neil has published 16 other works, as well as a number of video and audio programs, including the movie Indigo. Available throughout the world, each of the Conversations with God dialogue books has made an appearance on the New York Times bestseller list, and Conversations with God, book one, occupied that list solidly for over two and a half years. This series has redefined God and shifted spiritual paradigms internationally. In order to respond to the great demand of his powerful writings, Neil created the Conversations with God Foundation, a nonprofit educational organization dedicated to inspiring the world to help itself move from violence to peace, from confusion to clarity, and from anger to love. Neil's work has taken him from the steps of Machu Picchu in Peru to the Shinto shrines of Japan, from Red Square in Moscow to St. Peter's Square in the Vatican City, and all the way to Tiananmen Square in China. Everywhere he lands, from South Africa to Norway, Croatia to the Netherlands, the streets of Zurich to the streets of Seoul, Neil has found an immense hunger among the human race to find a new way to live, at last, in peace and harmony, truth and love. He has sought to bring people a new understanding of life and of God, which would then allow them to experience universal truth. Neil, please share with me, myself, and the world your inspiration for the creations of your latest book, Happier Than God, which offers a meaningful look into the inherent joy and manifestation available to all human beings. Well, you know, I uh, I have been to many places in my life, and especially in the last 15 years. And what I have noticed is that people are so very unhappy so much of the time. I don't want to pretend that everyone is unhappy all the time, but people should be happier more than they are, it seems to me. Especially people who have uh, have it so good. 
I'm not talking about the, the uh, people who live in ravaged lands such as Haiti or Darfur or other parts of the world where life is extremely challenging and very difficult. We can talk about uh, folks in that kind of situation later, but for now, I'm even just talking about people who live in other parts of the world where life, relatively speaking, is wonderful and uh, very good indeed. And still we find that there is a rampant unhappiness, rampant sadness in the world, suffering and um, disappointment and discord, and of course conflict uh, that arises out of that. And I've been observing that uh, at a distance for quite a few years now and wondering, gosh, what is it that's missing here from our understanding? What, what is it we don't fully comprehend about life, about uh, who we are, about how it all works that could change everything if we only knew it? And I l looked at that question very uh, closely and very deeply for a number of years. And finally, I kind of decided that I, I needed to write something about that. Before I closed down the conversation with God series, I needed to have a book that addressed the fundamental question of life as we're living it on the earth, which of course is, is there a way for me to be happy? Is there a way for me to be happy more than just now and then or once in a while? Is there a way for us to experience sustained happiness without doing damage or harm to anyone else? Must my happiness come at the cost or at the expense of another? And for that matter, can I in fact achieve in my life what I would yearn for, wish and hope for, what I desire? And what is the best way for me to do that uh, and still maintain my spiritual truth and the essence of my spiritual being? Or is it always just this constant conflict between the spiritual side of life and the physical side of life and I have to cave in to one or the other and give up one or the other in order to move forward in some kind of way that makes sense to me? These are all the questions that I attempted to answer in this book. And I, I should share with you that once I was determined to produce this book, once I made the decision to do it, the inspiration that drove the material in the book came through me very, very quickly. That book was written in uh, 12 days. Wow, that's phenomenal. Spirit really wanted to bring that forth. <laughs> I, fe I felt exactly that. I felt that it was just, you know, how things have their time. All, all things have their time and their season. And I really felt exactly what you've just said, that it was really the time for that book to be given to uh, humanity. I don't want to sound grandiose about it, but all people who create things, whether it's a painting or a symphony or a statue that they've carved out of marble or a book they've written, uh, all people who are in the creative arts, I think, have that feeling, especially when it comes through so quickly and so cleanly. Often we feel, gosh, this was time for that creation to come through. And isn't that so validating? Because it, it says, you know, we're all one. And when it's the time, it's just the ultimate gift to all of our souls on earth, whether we're aware of that or not. Yes, I agree with you. Wonderful. So I'm, in the book, you mentioned the process of personal creation. What is the distinguishing factor between the process of personal creation and the law of attraction as we commonly know it in the, the hype of the secret and other phenomenon that are focusing on manifestation today? Well, when I use the phrase, the process of personal creation, I'm speaking about something much larger than the law of attraction. I'm speaking about something of which attraction is a part, 
but is not the whole. I'm sorry that uh, my observation has to be that with regard to the law of attraction, many people have a sense that that's it. That's where it begins and that's where it ends, this process called manifestation in life. And then once we know about the law of attraction and how to use it, then we can produce the outcomes and the experiences in our life that we would choose without hindrance or without any further obstacle. Unfortunately, uh, when people try to apply what has been popularly known these recent days as the secret, which in fact is not a secret at all, but it's a very clever way to get the message out. When people have tried using the processes that are explained in the secret, uh, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, they find themselves disappointed. That is, what they hoped to make manifest was not made manifest in their life. And then they walk away from it and they say, oh my gosh, I guess it doesn't work after all. I should have known better. It's all a bunch of hooey and uh, there's nothing to it. And I, I feel sad about that because I think sometimes having half the truth is worse than having none of it at all. And so um, when I talk about the power of creation, the power of personal creation, it includes something a great deal more than simply the energy of attraction. It does include the energy of attraction, but it, the power of creation includes uh, is a really much more than that, a five, five principles of life. It includes a whole system by which life works, which is what is explained in Happier Than God. And again, this, this was all given to me, this and a great deal more, uh, in 12 days' time. So it came through so fast, I didn't even have a chance to argue with it. But the, which is one of the messages there. <laughs> yes, that's right. Don't argue with life, exactly. But 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 the the five uh, uh, principles of life, what what, what uh, the book calls the five great principles of life, include uh, the energy of attraction, which is just one of five principles. The law of opposites, uh, the joy of wonder, and um, gee, I forgot already the fourth one. And then the fifth one is the presence of cycles. And uh, I'll, I'll think of that fourth one in a minute. But there are five five great principles of life. And uh, when we understand what's behind all of those principles, not just the so-called law of attraction, when we understand all of those principles, um, then I think that we, we uh, the gift of wisdom, by the way, is the, is the uh, third one, then the joy of wonder, and then the presence of cycles. So the five great principles of life are the energy of attraction, the law of opposites, which no one ever talks about, the gift of wisdom, the joy of wonder, and the cycle of the presence of cycles in our life. Deeply understanding those five great principles of life creates a context within which we can move through and experience our lives and a place of greater comprehension about how the whole system works, about how the whole mechanism functions. And that, in turn, allows us to experience what we're experiencing, move through the days and times of our life with equanimity, with a, from a place of peace and serenity, instead of wondering what in the world is going on here and why is this happening now? And I think adding, it's really, you just did such a well-rounded job of bringing that information through. And I think the the gift of wisdom and the joy of wonder are so important because they keep the human spirit involved. And that and then naturally elicits consciousness versus isolating the law of attraction. Then by integrating the presence of cycles, it captures the presence.
process of creation of all of life, from every little bug in a forest to the vast <clears throat> oceans. And yes, so it just re- it really brings in the big picture. The, the cosmos itself, yes. which which yes. works in cycles. The ancients used to call the twenty four thousand year cycle uh, the great year, going through epochs, enormous swaths of time. Uh, and the ages of man, the so-called ages of man, we're now said to be recycling into the age of Aquarius, uh, to give our listeners an idea of what we're talking about here. And so there are there are many cycles going on simultaneously, uh, and by understanding these cycles and how they interplay and interact with our day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience, we create, as I said a minute ago, a larger context within which we may consider what's going on, and that helps us to more deeply understand and more serenely move through uh, the moments of our life. Yes, and it really it really leads us to look at how the process of personal creation affects larger humanity as well. I think so. And, you know, one of the things that no one talks about or very, very few people talk about when they speak of the law of attraction is the law of opposites, which says that in the minute that you declare you want anything, everything unlike it comes into the room and comes into the space of your life. And it must. It it has to. That's the way the mechanism works. But regretfully, this is not mentioned uh, in the movie The Secret. I'm I'm not trying to wrap the movie. I'm in the movie, so it's a wonderful film. But it did not talk about the law of opposites. And so when people use the law of attraction to call forth a particular result or a particular manifestation, and then when its exact opposite shows up in their lives, they don't know what to make of that, and they call it failure. And regretfully, a lot of people then step away from the whole process, and they say, well, either I'm doing it wrong or it doesn't work. So I talk at great length in the book about the law of opposites to help people understand how that process in the universe functions and how to work with it rather than against it. Yes, and that takes me back to the original series, um, book one through three, of you have to experience what you are not to identify what you are. Precisely. You can't be the light unless there's darkness. And that's a uh, a simple way of describing it. And so if you are choosing to experience anything, you will have to call forth from the ether, if you will, the exact opposite number, or you cannot know the experience that you're choosing to experience. If you want to experience uh, anything at all, it must be done within a contextual field. It cannot be done in a vacuum. And that is why life in the relative world, uh, life on Earth, is the way it is. And I often in my lectures use the example, if my greatest wish in life, I'm just making this up now just to use a simple example, if my greatest wish in life was to show up as someone who is six feet tall, it would do me no good at all to live in a universe or live on a planet where everything was six feet tall, where the grass was six feet tall, the trees were six the cars, every other person, everything that exists was six feet tall. I could then not know six foot tallness. I could imagine it. I could conceive of it, I could think of myself as that, but I could not experience it. The only way that I could experience being six feet tall was if something, anything, was not six feet tall. Maybe six foot three or five foot seven, but not six feet tall. So I would pray, literally get down on my hands and knees and say, Dear God, I really want to know experientially, not conceptually, what it means to be six feet tall. Please, please give me anything 
that's not six feet tall. In other words, give me something that's not what I am. And yet, even as I call forth what I am not, often if I'm not spiritually aware, I will raise my fist to the heavens and curse what I am not, calling it not as good as me, different from me, and not okay with me. Yet, if I'm a spiritual master or even a student on the path to spiritual mastery, I will suddenly understand exactly what's going on and that I, was, that I have called forth into my personal experience the other than, what I call the other than, the stuff that's other than what I am and other than what I choose to be, the stuff that is other than what I now choose to next experience, in order that I might have a contextual field within which, in fact, to create an experience what I've chosen to call forth. This is a very, very important message, and it is not a message that's contained in very many of the other writings on the power of attraction. So I'm very happy we've had a chance to explain it fully in this new book, Happier Than God, because once people understand what's going on, they know how to deal with it. And the first thing, just to close that circle, of how to deal with it, is not to oppose it. I say very clearly in the book, when that which is opposite to what you wish to experience comes into your life, do not oppose, compose. First, compose yourself. Don't get rattled. Don't get rocky. Everything will be fine. Compose yourself. Then compose your next experience in life. Just move into a place of composition and not opposition. Because as Conversations with God, Book One told us many years ago, what you resist persists. But what you look at ceases to have its illusory form. It literally disappears and becomes malleable. We can use the energies that seem to oppose us to compose the experience we would really want. We could use that which is not six feet tall to create the experience of six-foot tallness or anything else we would like to experience in our life. And that's the long and the short of it. Of course, the book goes into it in much greater detail, but that's enough to give you a taste of just one of these five great principles of life that help us to more deeply understand not only the law of attraction, but life itself and the very mechanics of it. Wonderful. We are talking with Neil Donald Walsh about his latest book, Happier Than God, Turn Ordinary Life into an Extraordinary Experience. You can find Neil on the web at www.ndwhome.com or at www.cwg.org. You can also purchase the book on his website, again, that's www.ndwhome.com. So, Neil, how can anyone talk to God to help create their experience? <laughs> there are a thousand ways. The question can be answered multitudinously. That is, there's no one particular way and no one given way. People can talk to God simply by wanting to, by desiring to, and if they desire truly to have a direct communication with the divine, with the seat of wisdom and peace and serenity and love in the universe, that can be easily done. <clears throat> Excuse me, in any one of many, many ways. But the first step, in fact, is to have a great desire for that experience. And then how to do it, that is the way that is most natural to you, will be made known to you. It might be meditation for some people. It might, in fact, be writing on a yellow legal pad for others. It might be a more traditional form of prayer 
which is used in many, many homes and in many, many hearts throughout the world, and which is, continues to be a wonderful, valid way of communicating with the divine. Or it could be in some non-conformist way, some most unusual ways, just by paying more attention to the messages that life is trying to send you. The words to the next song you hear on the radio. The chance utterance of a friend on the street. Or the, the, the message on the billboard as you turn the corner on the highway and you just go, oh my gosh, that's, that's the answer to the question I've been asking myself right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, many uh, is the person who has had something really troubling them and they've called out to God, can you bring me an answer? I don't know how to, to deal with this. I remember a lady wrote to me and told me about that. She had a, a problem, teenager, and he was deeply into drugs and, and alcohol and so forth. And he wasn't really that old. He was about 16 and a half or so. And she was deeply concerned and worried about him and didn't think she had all the equipment to deal with that. And she was praying to God for a solution, for an answer, for some some way out, some way to, to get to a place of clarity around that. Went to the hairdresser one day and while waiting for her turn, reading the magazines, as people do, you know, sometimes at the hairdresser, the magazine's lying around. There's a three-year-old magazine laying there. She picks it up, a long, long article about about troubled teenagers and how to deal with specifically the problem of, of alcohol and, and drug abuse and resources that are available to parents and also certain strategies that were talked about in that article um, written by a psychologist and a man who had deep experience in this area. And she just could not believe that this six-page article in, in one of the magazines was sitting there right in front of her. And had it, in fact, probably been in that, in that hairstyling salon for many months, if not years. Talk about, even before you ask, I will have answered. Here she walks in. Of course, she went right to the owner of the place. Could I, is there any way I could buy this magazine from you? Or, or, and the owner said, my gosh, take it with you. It's been here for months. And so she took the magazine home, cut out the article, called some of the resources that were mentioned there, and found herself on the pathway that she'd been searching for. It's just one example of what I'm talking about. When, we, when you ask, how can we talk to God? Willingness is the first step. And then the second step is faith in knowing that you will be answered. And then just opening your eyes, opening your ears, and letting the universe respond to you in the way that it will. And once we have that receptivity and that willingness, how then do we take it to the next level of being conscious? And I believe you incorporate this through the book in the 17 steps on how to really bring the practical energy of making what you want come in. Yes. There are many steps uh, in the book. The steps uh, are not necessarily concerned directly with how to have a conversation with God, but more specifically attuned to the question, how can I be happy in my life? What does it take to be what we call happier than God? I'm often asked, by the way, where I got the the title of that book or what I was thinking about when I wrote that title. And I can tell you that I, I had two two ways of thinking about it. Number one is, is a figure of speech. Uh, I, I once knew a person who was talking to me about a friend of ours, a mutual friend who had a lot of money. And I said to my friend, well, how how much money exactly does he have? And my friend said, oh, he's got more money than God. Well, that's all I needed to know. I didn't need an exact dollar amount. That told me everything I needed to know on that subject. In other words, he had plenty and plenty and even more than plenty was the point. And I thought, what an interesting way to put it. He's got more money than God. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny if we could use the same kind of superlative with regard to happiness? Is it possible to be so happy that you're happier than God? And so I used the title as a superlative, 
to simply talk about the highest level of happiness one could possibly imagine. But then after I titled the book that way, and as the book was being written, something new came through as well. I realized that it's possible as a very practical, meaningful way, in certain specific terms, to in fact be happier than God in the our individuations of the divine. That in fact there is no separation between us and that which is divine. No separation between us and God. We are individuations of divinity walking around on the earth. So that's true in in a in a extended sense. I could say, you are God, I am God, and everything that I'm looking upon is God. Therefore, if I am in fact God, an aspect of divinity, and if I'm happier tomorrow than I was today, then I'm happier than God. Mm-hmm. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, you know, talk about synchronicities. This earlier, two days ago, I was driving in, um, I live in San Diego, on Rosecrans Street, and there's a chiropractic health place titled Abundant Health Chiropractic. And their quote of the week, which was so superb for this interview, was God is either God of all or not God at all. So we've lost Neil for the moment. I, I must apologize. We'll work on reconnecting with him. And in the meantime, I will elaborate on that quote. So I found the quote, God is either God of all or not God at all. And in, in finding that, that is the message that Neil is bringing forth in this book, Happier Than God, life, turn ordinary life into an extraordinary experience. He, he elaborates on the divine is present in all. Therefore, man, thus, manifestation is divine. So the kingdom of God is within you, and as you manifest, you are manifesting with God, not separate from God. I really appreciated that context. And again, I'm, I must apologize. We've, we've lost the connection with Neil um, at this time, and I'm working on, on re- restoring that. So Jesus said, love others as much as yourself. And in the book, Happier Than God, Neil brings up the idea of the multiplier effect, the importance of why focus on you when you can focus on thousands of others, which then multiplies the level of attraction. If we're all one anyways, by focusing on others, it becomes a win-win. And that then leads to the selfless service, which will then raise the consciousness for humanity. So that is a wonderful, wonderful application of the process of personal creation and the importance of really looking at what you desire, then bringing it in with the process of personal creation, and then by not focusing on yourself but on focusing others through the manifestation process, you can then create consciousness in mass. And and interestingly in the book, he says that this exponential growth, this awareness, of the process of personal creation and our collective understanding of it leads to exponential transition and transformation where the evolution becomes the revolution. And that ties into what we do here at at, at Evolution Revolution. We are trying to lead those from the evolution into the revolution. I believe we have Neil. Let me check. And, and we'll continue to do that throughout the interview. I must apologize for any inconvenience this causes to our listeners, and I will maintain the air for um, the hour until we do so. So, again, it's just really amazing, the book, Happier Than God, Turn Ordinary Life into an Extraordinary Experience. You can find Neil on the web, as I had mentioned, at www.ndwhome.com 
or at www.cwg.org. Either one of those. Your, the book is available for purchase on ndwhome.com, and he'd love for you to pick that up. I'd also like to mention that you can connect directly with Neil at his Happier Than God One Day Retreat in L.A. on August 23rd. And on August 26th, he will be in Denver, Colorado. Those, again, are one-day workshops that you can connect with Neil surrounding Happier Than God. Is Neil back on the line? I believe we're in process here. It's quite it's it's a, an experience, a technical technicality, and unfortunately, it has occurred. And we will do our best to try to reconnect. I'd also like to mention at this time that I've created a website that allows you to access my information at www.dulcineasdivinevision.com. Again, that's www.dulcineasdivinevision.com. So in the book, Happier Than God, Turn Ordinary Life into an Extraordinary Experience by Neil Donald Walsh, a component of the Conversations with God series, he mentions 15 steps that can optimize happiness. And one of those steps is to stay in touch with who you are, the importance of staying in touch with who you are. He also mentions another step is to smile. Another step is to sing. A really important step is to have compassion for yourself. And I think that's very important through the process to bring in true, long, extended happiness. And a very, very critical element is to really love and have compassion for yourself, which then you can turn around and offer to others. That's very, very important. So I'd like to let all of us know that we are in process of getting Neil Donald Walsh back on the air, and we're working on that right now. We had a, a mishap in the, the connection, the phone connection. It cut us off. And so we do look forward to hearing back from him. <laughs> and in the meantime, again, I'll just continue overviewing what he offers in his fantastic latest release, Happier Than God. So he, he goes to mention to speak your truth as soon as you know it. And when I read that step of how to be happier than God, it really took me back to one of his original pieces, which he created in 95, Recreating Yourself. And in that book, he introduced five levels of truth, which was so profound for me. So he really brought that back and and the importance of that in these 17 steps of happiness. If Neil's on the line at any time, please do let me know. So I also would like to go over some more of these steps so that you can get an idea of what this book offers and why it's so relevant to all of us on earth today. We all are seeking a greater experience, a higher extended version of who we are and who we have always known we could be. And so Neil does a wonderful job at outlining some practical grounded wisdom for anybody at any point in their process. Like all of his work, it's, it's just phenomenal. So another important element is to decide that you are not your story. You are more than your story. And as he goes to say in the addendum and in his earlier book, Communion with God, nothing in this world is real. It is all an illusion. And part of the process of moving towards mastery is to acknowledge that, that it's an illusion, and to realize that the meaning of everything is the meaning that you give to it. We only can perceive a meaning that we've attached to something which therefore results in how it could be perceived as an illusion. And thirdly, I am who I say I am, and my experience is what I say it is. 
And I think those three elements are, again, important to understand the role of the human illusion and then how we can hear that and create our highest desires. Again, I apologize for any inconvenience this may cause to our listeners. This is definitely a first-time experience for me as a host, and, and unfortunate it's with such a, you know, a, a fantastic guest, although I have faith and hope that we will reconnect with Neil very shortly here. So I would like to thank Hampton Rhodes for promoting Neil's book and connecting me with him. Thank you, Sarah. I truly appreciate that. That's just an important thing to get out there. I'd also like to thank Richard Blackstone for supporting this interview and helping me here with the technicalities. Richard is the author of Nuts and Bolts Spirituality, Waking Up the Sleepwalkers. You can find Richard on the web at www.richardblackstone.com. So again, one more um, overview. You can connect with Neil at the Happier Than God Retreats in L.A. on August 23rd. It's a one-day retreat. You can find more information at www.neildonaldwalsh.com or at www.ndwhome.com. You can also purchase the book on his website. So in his book, he overviews the five principles of life, and he overviews 17 steps to maximizing the power of positive thinking and acknowledging I am what God is and God is what I am, really bringing back that universal principle of oneness. Do we have Neil on the line? Hi. Okay. Hi, Neil. Uh, I go. apologize for any inconvenience that we this may have caused to be disconnected through the interview. However, let's pick up where we left off. Sure. Okay, great. So we were just touching upon the 17 steps that you brought in to experience and maximize ultimate happiness in life. So uh, why is it important to focus on others before yourself during the manifestation process? That's the most extraordinary question, and the answer to it can change a person's life. Uh, You know, the... um, the way most people use the law of attraction, and I don't want to indict people. There's nothing wrong with this. It's just the way that it's done. The way most people use the law of attraction is to bring themselves health, happiness, peace, prosperity, whatever it is we think we'd like in our life, a new uh, job, a perfect life partner, even a new bicycle, you know, if we're one of the younger people or perhaps even an older person. So we, we've been using the law of attraction as a means of attracting the stuff that we want in life. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's a rather limited uh, point of view. It's a rather limited perspective, which uh, raises a question. If the law of attraction works, if it's really a power that can be used with consistent and predictable results, why wouldn't we use it to create peace on earth or prosperity for all of humankind or the end of uh, suffering, the end of uh, starvation for thousands of people uh, around the world, the end of the food crisis of 2008. Why aren't we using it for larger purposes? And uh, I looked at that question deeply and I've discovered that if we use the law of attraction for larger purposes, that is, if we turn that power outward rather than inward and we use it to produce outcomes and experiences of abundance and, and joy, of peace and happiness, experiences of true divinity in the lives of others, then we invoke, sometimes without knowing it, almost unconsciously, what I have come to understand is the multiplier effect. Please let me explain. 
if I'm using the power of God, and that's really what we're talking about here, we're talking about the power of God, the power of personal creation. If I'm using that creative tool to produce a particular and singular outcome in my life, then I'm using it at the power of one. But if I use that same tool, that same creative juice, that same creative power to create outcomes in the lives of, say, 10 people that I know, members of my immediate family, my friends, my neighbors, etc., then I'm using that power to the power of 10. If I decide that I would like to call forth those outcomes and those results in the lives of everyone that I know, people at work, at the office, down the street, at the bank, at the barbershop, etc., then I'm using it at the power of 100. And if I choose at some level to create or at least assist in creating these kinds of outcomes for all of humanity, I'm using it with the exponential power of billions. And suddenly, what I choose for myself is multiplied. The power that's bringing that through is multiplied. And what comes through me sticks to me. And that is why almost all highly successful people will tell you what you wish to experience in your own life cause another to experience in theirs. If you want more power in your life, cause another to be more powerful. If you want more creativity in your life, give others an opportunity to experience more creativity in theirs. If you want more income in your life, be the source of opportunities for others to create more income in theirs. That doesn't necessarily mean to give them money, but it might mean give them ideas, give them assistance, give them help of some kind or another, where they can get their business off the ground, where they can get their project moving again. And there are many ways, many opportunities for human beings to do that. Every highly successful person in life has said what Zig Ziglar told us and what we printed in the book. It's almost guaranteed that when you give to others the experience you want for yourself, the experience that you wish for yourself will be made manifest in your reality. Now, traditional religion has long taught this for thousands of years. Almost all of the traditional religions have their own way of articulating this so-called new thought principle. In Christianity, it's articulated as follows. Do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Which is simply uh, a, another way of saying what goes around comes around. What flows through you sticks to you. And there's a larger reason that this process works as well, I might add. And this is a most profound reason. It is true, and conversations with God made it very clear to us, that what you do for another, you do for yourself. And what you fail to do for another, you fail to do for yourself. For the astonishing reason that really in the highest level, there is no other. There's no one but the self. It turns out that we are all fingers on the same hand, if you please, that we are all deeply connected and that there is no separation between any of us. So what I do for you, I do for me. Beautiful. Therefore, it's a win-win. Absolutely. And most people, of course, live inside of a separation theology. That is, most people, people do not consider themselves to be intrinsically identical to the next person. Maybe dependent, perhaps interdependent. Maybe we can go that far. Yes, all of the world is made up of interdependent systems, but we're saying something quite different. 
We're saying here in the new spirituality that there's no separation between us, that we are all simply different individuations of the self-same essence. And if that's in fact true, then we step away from what I call separation theology. A separation theology is a theology that says, I'm over here and you're over there. I'm over here and God's over there. Now, there's nothing wrong with the separation theology. If it's just a belief system that you adopt in your own life, well, so be it, and we can all live by whatever beliefs that we hold. But regretfully, a separation theology produces a separation cosmology. That is, a cosmological way of looking at life that says everything is disconnected from and separated from everything else. And a separation cosmology often produces a separation sociology. That is, a way of socializing with each other that says, I'm over here and you're over there. I have my self-interest and you have your self-interest. Sometimes they're the same, but more often they're separate from each other and different. And finally, a separation sociology often produces a separation pathology. That is, pathological behaviors of self-destruction, which of course we're seeing on the planet every hour of every day. Just pick up the morning paper, turn on CNN. It's all over the place. So that's what emerges from the idea of separation. And what Happier Than God talks about as the first of its 17 steps to being happier than God is to do away with separation theology. First, see if there's a way to eliminate it from your own thinking, from your own life, from the way you hold the life experience and the way you move through it. And secondly, see if you can do whatever it takes to remove that idea of separation from the lives of all those whose life you touch, your immediate family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and so forth. And finally, if there's any way to do it, see if there's some process by which you can touch the world entire with this information so that all of us can ultimately let go of separation theology. And then our separation cosmology, our separation sociology, our separation pathology will begin to evaporate and disappear as we start to live life on this planet as we were always intended to live life as one being having many manifestations. Beautiful. And touching upon that separation, I noticed in the addendum of Happier Than God, you touched upon the human illusions that were based in the book from Communion with God. How do those illusions tie into our separate beliefs? Well, they spring from them. The first illusion uh, is uh, the illusion of uh, that failure can exist, that need exists, really. Uh, and, and it's interesting that we would have that idea. And the illusion that need exists uh, is a direct um, re result of, or it, it produces the idea that we must be separate from each other. You see, need could not exist. That's the first illusion of humans, that need exists. There are ten illusions that I was given in the extraordinary book, Communion with God. When we talk about need, we have to talk about separation in the same breath because a thing is sufficient unto itself. I don't need anything more than I already have to be Neil. I am Neil, and I don't need anyone to give me anything more to be who I am. If I want to be some other version of Neil or something other than Neil, I may need something from outside of myself. But if all I hanker for, if all I yearn for is just to be Neil, I'm already that. I am already that. 
I am sufficient unto myself in that sense. So too is God. God is sufficient unto itself. It needs nothing to be God. It already is God. It needs nothing from anything else. And yet, we hold this strange theology that says in order for God to be happy, certain things have to happen. And if those things don't happen, well, by golly, it causes God to be unhappy. So unhappy, in fact, that he punishes us. And not just a little bit here and there, not just temporarily, not just a little penance, mind you, but punishes us with everlasting damnation. That is, for all eternity, we are in pain and suffering and anguish and whatever else we imagine everlasting damnation to be about. And so we create this whole mythology around the idea of need, that need exists. And of course, if need exists, and God tells us that it does, because there are things that God needs us to do, uh, to give you one striking example, God needed Adam and Eve, according to the mythology, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, of course, Eve did. And God became so saddened by that and, and so affected and so impacted by that that God said, okay, out of the Garden of Eden, you're out of here. And from now on, from this day forward... All human beings everywhere will be born under the stain of original sin and have to struggle. You guys had it perfectly fine in the Garden of Eden, but everyone else is going to have to suffer for the sin you committed. That's the myth. That's the mythological story. What a sad story because it starts off with an idea that God needs things to be a certain way in order to be good to us. Ouch. Oh, my gosh. Whoever imagined an idea like that? And so the first illusion of humans, which is the illusion of need, gives birth to the idea of separation. Because if we weren't separate from God, we wouldn't need anything, any more than God needs anything. Except that we imagine that God does need things, and therefore we need things too. And so the illusion of separation emerges from the illusion of need, and on and on we go through the other ten illusions of humans, all of which cause us to live life as if we had fallen down the rabbit hole, and there's the Mad Hatter pouring tea into a cup with no bottom, swearing to us that what is so is not so, and that what is not so is so. Beautiful. It's, it's, and it's very powerful, and it really, really comes through in Happier Than God through several of the 17 steps, including give others the experience you seek, be clear that nothing is real. That is that was so important. When I saw be clear that nothing is you see is real, I thought I could say that ten times, and I feel really good. <laughs> it's very important. Uh, it's a very important step. If we are understanding that everything we are seeing is made up in our mind, that is our response to it, our reaction, the experience we are having is an experience we are creating internally. It's not an experience that's created externally. So what's meant by nothing you see is real is that the experience you're having of it is an experience you're making up in your own mind. So two people can walk down the street and see a person across the street crying. One person has the experience of sadness. Oh, that poor lady. Oh, gosh, she must be in such pain. I've got to go over there and help her. The other person standing right next to them says, oh, wow, look, she's so happy. She's crying with happiness. She must have just won the lottery or something. So we both go across the street to find out which of them is right. But they've both created an experience of the same exterior circumstance. But the experience is entirely different from one to the other. This is what's called the Rashomon effect. It is, there's a great Japanese play called Rashomon based on exactly this 
where six people see a crime committed in a park and the police get statements and they get six different versions of what happened and nobody can agree with each other on what they saw. And so we see that life, in fact, is a pro- and our experience of life is a product of our perspective. It depends on where we're looking at it from, the hill we are standing on, if you please. Life is a product of our perspective. Perspective creates perception. What we see depends on where we're looking from. Perspective creates perception. Perception creates belief. It turns out, after all, that seeing is believing. And so we see what we see based on where we're looking from, and we believe what we believe based on what we're seeing. Perspective creates perception. Perception creates belief. Belief, of course, creates behavior. All of our behaviors spring from our beliefs. Behavior creates our experience. Our experience is the sum total of all the behaviors of ourselves and others. And experience creates reality. So we have this circle. Perspective creates perception, which creates belief, which creates behavior, which creates experience, which creates our reality. Not the reality, our reality. She's crying because she's so sad. No, no, no. She's crying because she's so happy. She's crying tears of happiness creates our reality and our reality creates our next perspective and so it's a circle once we understand that circle we begin to peer deeply into the process of all of life itself and this information is what is contained in that extraordinary book happier than god yes yes and in happier than god you touch upon the mechanism of manifestation would you briefly overview that perspective Well, I've been talking about it since we got uh, together in this interview, and the mechanism of manifestation is simply a process uh, by which we call forth our reality using thought, word, and deed. But the mechanism of manifestation is increased tenfold when we approach it in the way that I've described already in our prior conversation, by calling forth on behalf of all others whose life we touch that which we would choose to experience uh, in ourselves. That's what makes the mechanism work over time, if you please, increasing exponentially uh, the power of creation and allowing us to experience our heart's desire in a way that is profoundly beneficial for all others in our life. Why is total freedom God's greatest gift? because it allows us to create everything in the world that we would ever choose to have collectively as a human species and individually as well. And because we can't imagine uh, that God would allow us to be free, it's his greatest gift because it throws the doors wide open, the doors to creation. We can create life and our experience collectively on the earth in any way that we choose. We are not restricted in any way. It's God's greatest gift because freedom is who we are. We are, in fact, that which is free. The human soul is what you might call freedom personified. It is the individuation of freedom itself, which is in microcosm that which God is in macrocosm. God is that which is absolutely free, of course, that everyone would agree to. There are no restrictions on God. No one has a stop sign uh, on God. No one tells God what he can or cannot do, what she can or cannot experience or have or be. So there is no, there is no thing in God's reality except total and complete freedom. 
and why freedom is God's greatest gift is it's a doorway to the expression of divinity itself. It gives us the opportunity in our macronized version of God to experience the, uh, in our, I should say, in our micro version of God, to experience the macro version of divinity itself. And freedom is the greatest gift we can give to anyone in their lives. It is the highest expression of love. I often say in my couples' workshops, in my couples' retreats, the greatest gift you can give to your beloved other is absolute freedom to be, do, and have whatever they would choose. And I mean really whatever they would choose. No restrictions of one upon the other. That's amazing how many couples just really sit up and take notice when I say that, and they're almost afraid of it. They go, you can't mean that. You can't really mean that. Does that mean freedom to, to do anything? And I say, well, absolutely. Who would you be? Who are you to tell your spouse that he or she may or may not do or be or have a certain thing? I mean, well, they say we're partners. We, we, we live under the same roof. We, we were sharing our lives together. Shouldn't there be some consultation? Shouldn't there be some compromise? Oh, I didn't, I didn't say there shouldn't be consultation. I didn't say there shouldn't be compromise. I didn't say there shouldn't be discussion or sharing of views. But in the end... We should always conclude every conversation by saying, hey, thanks for this conversation. Thanks for this, this discussion. Thanks for bringing me in on your decision. But in the end, the decision is yours. And I want you to know you're perfectly free to make whatever decision and whatever choice you, you wish to make because you are an expression of divinity itself. And I would never impinge on your freedom in any way. You know, relationships that are based on such an extraordinary foundation rarely end. They rarely separate. They rarely disintegrate because you can't find that kind of freedom. Most relationships in the world are based on exactly the opposite. Restriction. That is very, very true. It's interesting. I went to a liquor store and picked up a Starbucks and he he said to me, and I picked up a lighter for some candles and sage, and he said, may I see your ID? And I said, oh, that's no problem. I feel, you know, very honored. I'm 30 to buy a lighter. I need an ID. And he said, wow, what are you doing that you're 30? And I thought you were about 17 or 18. And I said, well, I, I love the angels are the first people that I give credit to. I really love the angels. And, and he said, okay, you must not have a man. And I said, well, why do you say that? He said, because all men ask women to do is to stop being who they are. And what women ask men to do is to stop being who they are. That creates stress and that creates age. I went, wow, that was a book. <laughs> you had some wisdom pouring forth in a very minor experience, and that just absolutely validates what you're saying. When we have that complete freedom, we can be authentic. We have acceptance. There's love. There's room for love. The irony of that is, incidentally, that when we're given such freedom, such complete and total and other freedom, we almost inevitably do what the other person would have us do anyway if they tried to force us. That is so true. It's inherent. <laughs> Sure, because because love encourages us to consider the other person optimally and to provide that which the other person deeply desires, especially if they're not forcing us to. It's just an amazing Absolutely. thing. It's it's just reverse English. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Neil. I'd like to let our audience know that Neil will be appearing in L.A. on August 23rd for a one-day Happier Than God retreat and also in Denver, Colorado on August 26th. You can find that information on the web at www.ndwhome.com. All human beings have the capability to create a most optimal experience filled with their greatest and grandest inner visions and desires. It requires acknowledging the inherent joy, 
love, truth, light, and divinely instilled manifestation possibilities that lie deep within each human being. The seed of infinity lies within the core of the human spirit and simply requests the free will choice to nurture, water, and tend to the eternal possibilities one can bring into their human experience. Choose to create your greatest desire today. You do deserve it. Pick up happier than God, turn ordinary life into an extraordinary experience, and experience what Neil has offered in his greatest book so far in the Conversations with, Good Se- Conversations with God series, The 17 Steps of Grounded Tools to Utilize Your Inherently Divine Manifestation Abilities, thereby producing fulfillment, joy, and a life that is happier than God on earth. How valuable. Coming up on May 1st, we have Christy Blaze appearing to discuss the inspirational teachings of 1958 called The Twelve Blessings. She's also the author of six books, including Power Prayer. Adrienne Windsor and her practical book, Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power, will be present on May 8th. From the School of Metaphysics, Dr. Laurel Clark will be appearing on May 22nd to share about her latest book release, The Law of Attraction and Other Secrets of Visualization. On May 29th, Albert Clayton Golden will be appearing, author of Signs and Wonders, and You're Not Who You Think You Are, a Blueprint for Retrieving Your Authentic Self. Please join me in the upcoming weeks. Additionally, please explore the Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors that can be found on the Evolution Revolution homepage at www.sedonatalkradio.com. The archive shows are available 24 hours a day at no charge and include amazing talent such as Taylor Wilshire, Dr. Barbara Condren, Jeff Brown, Dr. Susan Carroll, Anna Maria Hemingway, Charles Virtue, Michael Tamura, Marla Martinson, Michael Brown, Richard Blackstone, David Robert Ord, Megan Skinner, Dr. Lisa Love, Jennifer Weigel, Betty Youngs, and Paula Marie Jackson. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. I am a metaphysical teacher, healer, and spiritual counselor who offers clairvoyant readings via phone, allowing me to connect with people anywhere. Please visit me on my newly created website at www.dulcineasdivinevision.com. There is a clairvoyant reading page on the website, feel free to explore including testimonials from clients and my contact information. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening with myself and my honored guest, Neil Donald Walsh. Thank you so kindly, Neil. We appreciate your time and, of course, your powerful creation. Happier than God, turn ordinary life into an extraordinary experience. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting Evolution Revolution. I wish you all abundant peace, joy, miracles, and love this spring and always. Angel blessings. Good night. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. No matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. 